And now, it's time for the biggest bonanza in podcasting. With Dominic Stern and Nicholas Hodell, this is the College Basketball Bonanza! And welcome into a special condensed version of the Bonanza, as you listened earlier here on Blaze Radio, a fantastic interview done by the girls of Storyboard. I'm Nicholas Hodell, Dom Contini, Dominic Stern. We are all here alongside, and, you know, this is going to be a very interesting show, given that we are very, very condensed on time. So we're just going to get straight into the action here on describing what was a very chaotic Gavit games. When I say chaotic, I mean, there were upsets flying all over the place, and the Big Ten became the Big East's punching bag. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you and me, Nick had Ohio State being the Musketeers, but Dom... Came out victorious in that one, picking the Musketeers and yeah, Travis I, Steele getting his first win as a head coach for the Xavier Musketeers. It was kind of like that logic of NFL teams down by 14 going for two on the first try because you know if you get it the second time, you're going to go for two again. But like if you get both right, then you're an absolute genius Like if you get it right <laughs> the first time. So uh, I swung and missed on St. John's. You guys picked up that point with Indiana. But I knew I had faith. And Xavier, uh, as our John Rostein, this is a John Rostein quote, uh, hell in a cell at Xavier. So I, I, I knew it was going to be tough for Ohio State going on the road, and Xavier came up clutch for me. Yeah, it wasn't just Ohio State that was getting upset. Mark kept picking up a massive win against Illinois, and St. Hall doing the exact same, and in Arbor against Michigan. So between those, these three upsets, which were very, very you know, shocking in, in and of itself, which upset do you think was more impressive? I think the Seton Hall one is very impressive. I I think no one saw that coming. Um, just Dwan Howard, Dwan Howard, Michigan Wolverines, like they're one of the favorites to win the Big Ten, and then when they drop a loss to Seton Hall like that, I just did not see that coming. Yeah, then that was definitely a an absolute shocker, given that pretty much all the guys that Michigan needed to have a good night had good nights and I forget who committed that foul at the very end that allowed Satan Hall to jump out in front on free throws but you know it's just one little mistake and that's all it can take in, in games like this it's just one mistake and all of a sudden you're trailing and you're going off of your home floor a loser instead of what should have been a solid win but you know Satan Hall they did pretty much everything they needed to mm-hmm. as well I mean that was a big big credit I think Satan Hall they could give UConn a big run for their money for second place uh, in the Big East. I, I yeah, really like where Satan sure. Hall is coming along. And like I said on uh, Twitter in my rapid reaction with the Xavier win, I think the Big East is back this year. Like It's going to be a fun year watching the Big East all year. And I would like to remind everyone, Michigan was up 11 against Seton Hall. Like That that just can't happen for Juwan Howard and the Wolverines. Yeah, and, I mean, I'll talk about the Illinois Marquette win a little bit. Yes, Illinois was without Kofi Coburn, which... Mm-hmm. I know Dominic will probably say that was probably it played a bit a, a bit of a role into this, but Marquette, I mean, they got away with a little bit of a kick there on the on the sequence they give them the lead. I mean, they they got away with a little bit of of something there, and you know, boy, if that one gets called. You get the entire arena booing at the referees for for a, for what would have been a very good call, uh, but. I mean, definitely a, a very big performance by guys like Daryl Morceau, who had 21 in this game. Justin Lewis, 17-4. and four. I mean, those guys definitely played up to an, a level which you need to to beat teams like Illinois. I mean, with Kofi or without Kofi, there's a lot of talent on that Illinois team. And they have themselves a pretty solid game, pretty much, for the most part. And what makes this Marquette even more shocking to me is that they won this game despite being 18 of 31 from the free throw line. You yeah. don't win a lot of games with that number. No, and Marquette did it with his defense. Illinois, obviously, they have a very elite defense. They have some veterans on their team. But Andre Corbello, their point guard, it kind of showed last year he was the number two point guard, and, and you could almost say he was the number three point guard because of Trent Frazier yeah. as well alongside Io DeSumo. But he's very sporadic, and we were talking about how he needed to – calm himself down as their lead point guard because he's a very good player. This game was a prime example of him not doing that. Turned the ball over several times. And part of his game is he gets to the he gets to the baseline. And when he gets there, he has Kofi Coburn down there to help himself out. <laughs> now, Kofi Coburn was not playing in this game because the NCAA hates its players, the people who make the money. And 
he didn't have that capability, and when he, once he gets to the baseline, he gets all sporadic, and he turned the ball over. And it, it didn't go well for them. I still think Illinois has got a very good chance at doing well this season. They're the number one defense, according to Kempom still, despite this game. But Marquette, they look good, and they came back. They were down 10 points with 10 minutes left in this game against a very, very elite team like Illinois. So this game told me more about Marquette than it did about Illinois. Yeah, yeah we can count out Shaka Smart. Yeah, that was very, very impressive in myself. To talk about Xavier and Ohio State a little bit, I mean, Xavier played very well. And by the way, this is despite Xavier being 5 of 24 from 3. And very similar to the Marquette and the free throws. You don't win too many games, but you upset a team with a line of 5 of 24 from beyond the arc. 3 of 12 in the first half, 2 of 12 in the second half. Yeah. And yet they found a way. Yeah. Well, the story in this one, I would say, is Ohio State. I mean, it's going to be a problem for them all year. Like, their, their year is going to be defined by their guard play. And that being Michi Johnson, Malachi Branham, and then Jamari Wheeler. I talked about this a little bit in my rapid reaction on Twitter. Um, th- their season will depend a lot on Michi Johnson. So if he develops, I think they can thrive. But Patrick Nunn, I mean, Jack Nunn's off the bench for Xavier. 14 points, 14 rebounds is the story for the Musketeers. He was the biggest spark plug, the spark plug Musketeers could have, and he did it. So. So, and the two wins that the Big Ten ended up getting in the Gavin games, Michigan State over Butler, 73-52. The one that the Big Ten really got that I thought was going to be a swing game from the start, Indiana over St. John, 76-74. It was not posh season. Yeah, it was not. So, I mean, the big thing here is that what did Indiana do to beat a very good St. John's team that the three teams that got ups in the Big Ten did not? Was there, was there anything we could really say that Indiana did against St. John's and the other three teams just didn't? Uh, well, I mean, they shot 33% from three-point line. They didn't re- – I mean, they turned the ball over, but I, I, I don't know how Indiana got it done. It, it's, it was kind of shocking to me. And Tracy Jackson Davis put up 18. Uh, Race Thompson put up 15. When that duo in the front court is playing well, Indiana is going to be very hard to beat because Julian Champagny put up 32 points in this game, along with seven rebounds. And it wasn't enough, but Indiana playing in front of Assembly Hall, they were able to get the job done. Yeah, and, you know, I really thought Indiana had let that game slip away from them watching that game. First half was terrific for Indiana. I mean, they, I could not tell you how many 7-0 runs St. John's had. <laughs> I mean, they were just getting all these runs. It's like, are you kidding me? I told myself watching this game, if you lose this game, it's on them. Yeah. It's all on them. Yet they found a way to take that game. That'll be a good win for IU for sure. going forward. So the last question before we leave this subject I want to really leave on is, what did we learn from both conferences from the Gafford games? Well, like I said, the Big East is back and, like, better than ever. Well, not better than ever, but they, they, are, they have a very good chance to have a couple teams in the tournament this year. And then for the Big Ten, the question for them, I would say, is if this is going to be a follow-up of what happened in March with them last year. Are teams going to stumble upon expectations and not thrive? Yeah, and I, I agree with Dom. I think the Big East is back. And what you mentioned, you put the quote graphic up on Twitter. Yeah. When the Big East is back, college basketball is at its best. Yeah. Truer words have never been said, Dom. <laughs> uh, that is so true. You have historic programs and some historic programs have also left and gone to some other conferences but yeah the big east i think it might be back in the big 10 i've heard this from some uh, some of our friends that the big 10's overrated that these teams like they're good but they're not great and when they beat up on each other you just say oh well that's a good win because the team was good but you might not see that this year i mean you look at purdue and michigan and maybe illinois and you say all right those are the really good teams but then outside of that they're just good teams and there's not really any elite teams. At this point, I don't even think you can put Illinois and Michigan in the same category as Purdue. Yeah, no, we'll talk about what Purdue did mm-hmm. earlier. I just want to mention, by the way, Maryland, who was not in the Gavit games, had one of the worst weeks <laughs> you could possibly have. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had to use the final minute to beat Hosfra. And then the game before that, they lost at home to George Mason. Well, don't don't shame the pride, Nick. Uh, shout out to the pride. They're going to win the Colonial this year. Uh, but, yeah, that loss to George Mason was a really bad loss. And, I mean, I was I was talking about it with my friends. The, the game opened as a 16.5-point line. 
and it closed at nine and a half points. And that should have been a sign that everyone was thinking that George Mason had a good chance to win this game. George Mason, they turned around after that game and they lost to James Madison. So, uh, yeah, Maryland, uh, sign for some concern Yeah, we will have more on Maryland later on in this program. Let's move on and shift our attention to some of the multi-team events that have happened. A lot more on the horizon. But for the ones that have happened, we saw a lot of fantastic basketball. And I want to take this moment here for us to become the professors and to give out some grades to some of these teams who have played within these MTEs. Let's start off with the Hall of Fame tip-off and Purdue. Purdue picking up two very solid wins against North Carolina and Phil. No, I'll let Dom Stoner start off with the grading. Uh, I'm going to give them an A-. minus. The mm. offense gets a 100. The defense was good, uh, allowing 84 points to North Carolina and 74, 74 points to Villanova. This Purdue team wants to play slow, and if they want to have that elite defense, you have to play good defense to win the NCAA tournament. Uh, 228th in adjusted tempo, and they're allowing 84 and then 74 points. That's not going to win you a lot of games. The defense needs to get a little bit better, but this team's legit. They're the third best team in the country, uh, right behind Kansas and Gonzaga, but Purdue's offense... <laughs> They're so good. Zach Eady, Travion Williams, Jaden Ivey looks like an All-American, too. Uh, this team's legit, but their defense gives them an A-. minus. Hmm. Uh, I kind of disagree with Don there for a little bit. I would give Purdue I to an A+. Plus. I think Purdue is the one of the best teams in basketball, if not the best right now. I mean, if you're going up against Villanova and UNC, 84 points to 74 points, that's acceptable. And especially if you're putting up 93 points and 80 points. I think Jaden Ivey is... One of the best guards in college basketball. He's a incredible talent. And then I think this is actually Purdue's year. Like, it's been said in the past that a couple years has been their year, but they have all the pieces this year to get it done. And I think they're the favorite in the Big Ten as of right now, like I said earlier. Yeah, I'm giving Purdue a flat A. I think they did a lot of things fantastically over the course of this game. A few things, though, I think they probably could have been a little better. They probably could have forced a few more Philadelphia turnovers. Sure. I mean, Philadelphia only had four turnovers in this game, and they lost that turnover battle 11-4. to And as to the many things that Purdue did right, you're going to be expected to do them. Mm-hmm. You're going to be expected to win the turnover battle. Not turnover, the rebound battle, I should say. You're going to be expected to win the points in the paint battle, which they dominated North Carolina and Philadelphia in both of these games. That's going to be expected. I mean, it's just, you know, the little things. I mean, can you force a few more turnovers against elite teams? You know, that's, that's sort of where I am. But overall, a fantastic for Purdue. They get a flat A from me. How about Villanova? You know, obviously the loss to uh, Purdue, but the day before, they smattered Tennessee. Yeah. Like what we talked about earlier before the show, me and Nick did. I think the 3-2 and two record next to Villanova's name is... Like, it doesn't show what it really stands for. I mean, they have two losses against two of the best teams in basketball. I mean, UCLA and then now Purdue. And they have one of the best veterans in basketball, Colin Gillespie, and one of the greatest coaches of all time, I would say, Jay Wright. And I think I would give Villanova an A- after this past week. I, I'll give them an A- as well. The defense for Villanova is still concerning, and I'm also going to talk about the game they played earlier this week against Howard. The offense showed up. The defense was nowhere to be found. I, I was watching this game. Shout out to the Bonanza Bank. Uh, Howard cashed in here. But Villanova allowed 81 points to Howard. To Howard. It, wow. was, it was hard to watch. Now, they turned around against a significantly better Tennessee team, only allowed 53 points. And then held Purdue to 80, and Purdue is obviously, like we just mentioned, one of the best offenses. So Villanova's offense has shown up. They're not a big team. We talked about that. So they're going to struggle on the defensive end, especially against bigger teams like Purdue. So I'm going to give them an A-. minus. The defense still needs to get turned around, but it played really well offensively, especially against a very, very good defensive team like Tennessee. I will also give Villanova an A-. minus. A lot of things that I liked about the Phil Nova Tennessee game. The biggest knock I have against Phil Nova is the stretch run against Purdue. Purdue made 11 out of 11 to close this thing out. And in the stretch run, when you know when games are getting to that point, you have got to show up. And Phil Nova just did not. The biggest knock for me is on that stretch run. They did the exact same thing, I believe, against UCLA. Yeah. They had a very solid lead, let UCLA get back into mm-hmm. the game. 
overtime, we, we know how overtime ended. It was a smattering in overtime. My dad was not happy about that yeah. because cover in overtime. So. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely <laughs> a scenario that they need to get better in stretch runs. Uh, but a, a, a good week all around for them. I will give them an A- minus as well. By the way, the Constellation Tennessee smattered North Carolina yeah. 89-72. The Charleston Classic in a game that went final. Uh, State Bonaventure 70, Marquette 54. So let's talk about Marquette first in the week they have had because including the Illinois game, this has been a heck of a week for them. Sure. Yeah, they get an A. And, I mean, I just awarded Purdue an A- and Villanova an A-. I should say uh, what it says. Uh, beating Illinois... Very impressive win. Best defense in the country, according to Ken Palm. And then beating Ole Miss on a neutral site, beating West Virginia on a neutral site, and then, of course, losing to St. Bonaventure. But say the Bonnies, the Bonnies are legit. We'll talk about them in a minute. But Marquette, they're, they're for real. I mean, they came in with, you know, decent expectations this year. Not a lot of people knew what to make of them after absolutely falling apart last year. Shaka Smart, year one. But this team is good, and they're going to be a competitor in the Big East. I'm going to give them an A. Yeah, I like Marquette a lot. I mean, Shaka Smart has been one of my favorite coaches in college basketball for a very long time now. And Marquette's a good team. And like I said, the Big East is back. And Marquette's one of those teams that has put the Big East on that pedestal. One of the players I very like, I, I like a lot for Marquette, is Tyler Kolek. He's a freshman, 6'3". He scored 18 points against West Virginia. And West Virginia, yeah, they lost a lot, but they are a great team as well. And then... Tyra Kolek dropped 12 points against Illinois that helped them secure a victory against Illinois. Yeah, what, what's the grade, by the way? A as well. A as well. I'm going to give Marquette an A-. And it's solely because what they did against St. Bonaventure. This does not take away from the fact that Marquette has likely picked up two quad one wins this week. For sure. Well, that cannot be understated, but I'm just looking at some of the stats for really the first time in this game. St. Bonaventure shot 2 of 17 from 3. They still won the game by 16 points. Mm. That should be very, very telling, uh, really, up this game because there really is not any major other stats uh, to really look at in this game other than St. Bonaventure at one point had a 27-point lead. Yeah, and you're shooting two for 17 from three. That's, yeah. just doesn't work yeah, out. Yeah, it just really doesn't. It, I mean, and a lot of the things they did were probably in the interior in this game, but, I mean— Two, you just cannot allow a team to go two of seventeen from three and dominate you like that. Well, Marquette also went six of twenty-seven, so. And they still double them up in the percentage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that should tell you everything you need to know. Uh, that that game right there is the only reason why I'm giving this to you in a minus. Other than that, a terrific week uh, for Marquette. I will quickly start with say Bonaventure a plus. I mean, the I don't. Bodies. I mean, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything I can mark them off for other than. The first halves against Boise State and Clemson were very, were very shaky, and then they really recovered in a big time way. A plus. I'm gonna give them an A just because they didn't convincingly beat Boise State and Clemson. I don't view either of those two teams as tournament teams this year, and, and but the fact that they're able to win those games means something. But then they killed Marquette, so I'm gonna give them an A. Very impressive. I love the Bonnies, but uh, you got to be able to beat up on Boise State and Clemson on neutral courts. I'm going to give them A as well. I mean, it sounds like I'm a pretty easy grader. I'm giving everyone A's. But uh, the Bonnies, they they are a team this year. I mean, Kyle Lofton, 18, averaging 18.2 points, scored 12 today against Marquette. The Bonnies are back. Well, they're never really gone. They're always there. But St. Bonaventure is a team that I feel like can shock a lot of people this year. Yeah, it does appear we're a little easy grader. This team will probably change their minds quickly. Oklahoma! I will quickly start this thing off in the sake of time. Uh, C plus. Uh, this team looked not good against East Carolina. They got things going against Indiana State after a little bit of time, but then Justin Bean cooked Oklahoma Justin up. Bean. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I was not really convinced about Oklahoma at any point during this week that they could really be a contender in the Big Twelve. I wasn't convinced at almost any point this week. Me neither. Other for maybe the part where Oklahoma's starting to get going against Indiana State. It's a C-plus for me. That's all I could give them. I'll give them a B. They beat ECU and they beat Indiana State. And the win over Indiana State was a slaughter. And I, I said on the show during the near major and also on bonus Twitter content that I think Utah State is very good. 
And that was in large part because of Justin Bean, who was taking a massive step this year. Uh, so I don't think that's a bad loss in their hands. But uh, Oklahoma, they lost their top three scorers from last year. Like, I, the expectations should have been tempered for them. I give them a B because they ended up walking out with two wins. And they lost in a close game to a good Utah State team. So I'm going to give them a B. I'm going to give them a C-plus as well, like Nick did. But, I mean, like Dom said, I don't think that Utah State loss is very telling. Justin Bean is that dude. Like, he's that great. And I think a lot is going to talk. We're going to learn a lot from Oklahoma in the next two weeks as they have to play Florida and Arkansas. So, So I'm excited to see that. All right, in the interest of time, we'll keep things going here and get to our predictions for the week as we only have about five minutes left in this condensed version of our program here on Blaze. Uh, but very good weekend for all of us after the midweek wasn't really a, a struggle for, uh, for pretty much all of us. Um, as of right now, live uh, on air, uh, one of the games that we had predicted is still in progress, but... Uh, Dom is sitting, uh, Sturt is sitting at 14 and 5. I'm sitting at 12 and sudden and continuing is sitting at 11 and 8. And it looks like we'll pick up an additional win with SMU. They are currently at 53 46 on Missouri. So that was the other game we predicted. It's not final just quite yet. And we'll, I'll just quickly really go through things since we have a, an interesting slate of games here 10 games, 5 in the midweek, 5 in the weekend. The Satan Hall Ohio State game is one of them. Uh, both of the dogs picked Ohio State. I'm going with Satan Hall. I just think that Ohio State, I don't know if they're going to be able to learn their lesson from that Xavier game in time. I think Satan Hall is a darn good team. And even though it's, Michigan should have had that game, let's make that 100% yeah. clear. I still think Satan Hall has something that perhaps no one else really knows about. And I think that they could take it to Ohio State. I would not be shocked if the Pirates won that game. You could say the same thing about Ohio State, though. I think they haven't shown their exact selves yet. And I mean, they're, they are far from their potential right now. <laughs> no, for sure. And then, like John Rothstein always says, Chris Holman's more meticulous than a forensic officer. Mm-hmm. So I think Chris Holman's going to lead Ohio State to a big win over Seton Hall on Monday. The St. Mary's Notre Dame game as part of the Mali Invitational. And again, I am the contrarian going with St. Mary's. With the other dogs going with Notre Dame, I think St. Mary's is good. But this will be a very competitive game. Um, and I haven't seen Notre Dame quite enough to really give a true opinion of them. But I just think there's something within that St. Mary's team that the West Coast Conference has been proving themselves this year. I think St. Mary's can be a part of that equation. UCLA and Gonzaga, probably one of the biggest games that we'll see all year long. This time, Contini Subcontaria going with UCLA when myself and Dominic are going with Gonzaga. Yeah, uh, this is a revenge game for UCLA. I mean, after what happened in the tournament last year with Jalen Suggs hitting one of the greatest shots in tournament history. Um, I like Johnny Juzan in this game. And I like the whole UCLA squad. I mean, they bring everyone back pretty much. And I think that's just going to give them that extra edge to get that revenge game over Gonzaga. Michigan State and Loyola Chicago, one of the first round games in the battle for Atlantis. Dominic this time is the contrarian going for Loyola Chicago with myself and Don Quintino going for Michigan State. Yeah, I'm going to ride with the Ramblers here. They've been very impressive to start the year. Michigan State's been more impressive than I thought, but uh, I think Loyola Chicago is going to be able to get it done. A very veteran-heavy team. Uh, number one, according to Ken Palm, an effective field goal percentage. That's something I like. They take good shots, either three-pointers or open jumpers or layups. So uh, I think that efficiency is going to help them beat Michigan State. And then Maryland and Richmond won the games in the um, Baja, Baja Mar, who's I believe the Bahamas Championship this one isn't part of. I'm going with Richmond. My other colleagues are going with Maryland. I'm just going to say this flat out. Maryland is a fraud. <laughs> I do not like Maryland at all. And I know the HMs has an awful non-conference year. Yeah, what has Richmond done to make you justify this pick? <laughs> well, I picked Richmond last week, and they didn't do I well for me. I think Richmond's played much better their last two no, games than they sure. had previously. Sure. I think they're starting to pick something up, and I am not convinced by Maryland at all. No, Maryland struggled I'm for not. sure, but I, I trust the talent on that team to be and able I to get this one. I trust win. the coach, too, Mark Turgeon. Within the weekend picks, uh, BYU and Utah are all going to beat BYU. UC Irvine and Santa Clara what might be one of the more interesting mid-major games mm-hmm. in the West Coast. We're all going with UC Irvine. Stanford, Colorado, all going with Colorado. Fresno State, California. Dominic going with Cal. Well, with McIntyre going with Fresno State. I yeah. want to hear this one. 
I don't think either of these two teams are very good. Uh, Cal obviously has struggled so far this year. Fresno State, they're also not very good. Orlando Robinson's one of one of the best big men in the Mountain West Conference, but I don't think it's going to be enough to get over Cal. Uh, they have more talent on the team. And as we close this out, Oklahoma and Central Florida, Dominic, again, the contrarian of UCF. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about UCF. I was really thinking about it. Uh, but Oklahoma kind of trapped me in at the Indiana State game. I'm not going to lie to you there. And I went with Oklahoma along with Dom Contini. And in this condensed version here on Blaze, that is all the time we have. Now, if you're going to listen to us on our podcast platforms, keep on listening, though. You're going to have a special extended cut starting at about this time here. And here we go with said extended cut here on the College Basswood Hands. It's my sub, Nicholas Hodel, Dom Contini, Dominic Stern with you for the extended version of our show, the segments that just didn't quite get into our condensed version over on Blaze. And we're going to start off with the two Tuesday blowouts of Virginia and Houston and BYU and Oregon. Uh, the, the Virginia game first, Houston winning at home by 20 points over Virginia, 67-47. to 47. Houston dominated pretty much every phase of this game. And it, you could really tell who the better team was here, guys. For sure. I mean, I was kind of stunned by this. I, I am very shocked when Tony Bennett teams go down like this. Like, this is very uncommon for a team of a defense like Tony Bennett's. But um, Houston got it done, and I think they're going to continue their winning ways from last year and have a good season. Yeah, and the problem with this game wasn't Virginia's defense. It was their offense. Uh, you can't win games scoring 47 points. Virginia's going to try and keep you in the 60s, and they're going to bank on the fact they can, once they hold you in the 60s, they can get there, uh, get to the 70s. That's how they're going to try and win a lot of games. So their game plan for this game was executed, but their flaws didn't allow them to win this game. So uh, the offense of Armand Franklin, Kihei Clark, they're going to have to step up tremendously because the defense, it's still elite, but their offense right now is nowhere near where it needs to be for Virginia to be able to win while playing good defense. Yeah, and... Franklin and Clark were 3 of 7 and 2 of 9, respectively, from the field. And, you know, even though Houston was kept in the 60s, they still shot 49% from the floor. So they were able to shoot very well in, in this game. And the question I want to ask with you guys is, from the respect of both of these teams, is this a sign of what is to come for yes. Virginia and for Houston? I would say yes. I think Virginia is going to have a pretty down year this year, and then I think Houston is going to be pretty successful. I mean, Virginia had 17 turnovers in this game, and that's very uncommon for any Tony Bennett team. And I just think Tony Bennett's going to have to throw the shoe in and give this year another year. And before we get to the diamond, I want to mention that there's just a turnover ratio 6-17. to 17. Yeah. That is not going to win you too many ballgames, Dominic. No. And I think this game is very indicative of what Virginia is going to be. They're, they're not a tournament team yep. this year. I don't, I don't think they are. And if they are, they're going to be a low seed, which is, of course, going to be very dangerous. I mean, we've seen these, these power programs with good coaches as low seeds. They win games. But I don't think Virginia is going to get that opportunity. And for Houston, I think they're a second weekend team and they have that potential. I, I think it's kind of tough to look at this game, a 20-point win, over Virginia, and you say, oh, wow, they're they're an elite team. Yeah. I don't think that's what they are this year. They don't have as good of an offense as they did last year. The defense is, of course, going to be there. Mm-hmm. But I think that Houston has second weekend potential. That's about it. Yeah, I think Houston, they have the talent to, at the very least, win the American and perhaps do something special outside of that. Virginia, I think with their system, they can go out and definitely grab a couple of wins in the ACC that they weren't expected to get. Here's where Virginia's problem lies. They only have one marquee opportunity left in the non-conference coming up against Iowa in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. You're almost looking at that game not necessarily being a must-win at this point in the year because you have opportunities in the ACC, but you want to get a a non-conference win. For sure. Like, of that stature. I was not... It doesn't have that great of a stature. They are a great team, but I don't think, like, a couple with Luke and Garza leaving and all that. But the ACC is pretty down this year, I would say, and Virginia's not going to be able to pick up that many great wins in the ACC, like Nick was saying. Yeah, and, and, and if that's exactly what you're leaning on, I mean, that's going to be very troublesome uh, for Virginia going forward. But I, I definitely think they can, they can pick up one or two quality wins in the sure. ACC. You know, the problem is, you know, are you going to have enough on your resume? And perhaps the most important thing in Virginia, 
or you're going to be able to avoid the traps of your conference. Mm -hmm. that, that might be the most important thing going forward. The other big blowout from Tuesday the 16th, BYU and Oregon, I think shocked pretty much everyone. 81-49. I mean, BYU took the Ducks, and they made duck stew out of them. Yep. I mean, this was absolutely shocking. To say the least, I mean, just I mean, I'll just read off the numbers. BYU shot nearly sixty percent from the floor in this game, thirty-four of fifty-seven. BYU was having thirty-two percent shooting. BYU from beyond the arc, nine of twenty-two. Oregon three of fourteen. I mean, off the of turnovers, BYU won that battle, twenty-one to five. And the turnover battle was BYU twelve, Oregon thirteen. They took this Oregon team, which is a very good team, and dominated them in every single aspect of the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, we all picked Oregon to win. Like, no one saw this coming. And uh, BYU, I would say, is a team that has gone under the radar. I mean, this year they're a very good team. They are undefeated, and they have a couple of big wins against San Diego State and now Oregon. So I expect them to see... I expect to see the Cougars do some better things this year than what they have in the past. Yeah, Alex Barcelo has some All-American potential mm -hmm. at BYU. I mean, you're talking about an elite scorer, an elite shooter. Uh, he knows how to get open off ball. He knows how to create separation when he's got the ball in his hands. Five for five uh, on mid-range shots, uh, two-pointer attempts, and four of six uh, from behind the arc, three of three at the line. He's just a really good player. He runs the offense. He is their go-to scorer, and every team needs that go-to scorer when they're in that situation, obviously, BYU was never in the situation in this game because they just ran away with it. But for them to come out here and just absolutely dismantle a really good Oregon team that's really well coached, I think said a lot. Mark Pope's got this program going in the right places. And BYU's going to be prepared for when they go to the Big 12, too. I mean, I don't think a lot of people are talking about that. Like, this program, they're going to be able to handle their own once they're playing against good teams night in and night out. They don't get that in the West Coast Conference. They will get more of that this year, but... I think BYU's definitely going in the right direction. Uh, definitely not your typical college basketball team when you look at them, but BYU, they, they've got it going on. Yeah, and, and it's not just Alex Barcelo and this team either in this game. BYU won the bench points battle 33-6. to mm -hmm. And those were guys that, in the case of Spencer Johnson and, and a couple other guys, played some significant minutes. So it wasn't even just garbage minutes either that BYU clutched Oregon in. Just a complete demolition. And I really think that this almost raises the expectation level of BYU. Sure, sure. I mean, sure, you're not going to be able to win the conference with a team like Gonzaga in the way. But now we're looking at... Second place. I mean, I, mean, I would have said second place in the conference well before this. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, okay, we're from getting to the tournament, you know, seeing what we can do is like a, a, a decent seed. Yeah. Now where it's like, okay, we got to go for the limit here. Because yeah. we got a window where we can do something special. I think the West Coast Conference is, is going to have one of its best years it's had in a while this year. So, Yeah, it's the thing. With, between these two schools, or, or they're doing, what San Francisco is doing, the expectation of St. Mary's, I mean, and what Santa Clara all of a sudden is doing as well. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a conference that is, is going for a banner, banner year. Same question for, from the other game to here. Is this a sign for both of these teams of what's to come this year? Uh, I think this game was more of a fluke for Oregon, but I think this is a sign for BYU. I think BYU, like you just said, Nick, is going to have a better year than what they had in the past. They just beat, well, before this game, the number 12 team in the country, Oregon. So BYU, they are definitely going to have a higher expectation after this game. Yeah, I mean, I think BYU's legit. I think they're definitely a team that, once again, similar to Houston, Sweet 16's second weekend potential. I, I wouldn't go any further than that. Their their big man play is is fine, and their backcourt play outside of Alex Barcelo is also fine. But when you have that player like Barcelo, you can make a run in the NCAA tournament, and definitely they can give Gonzaga a run for their money. They're going to need to find ways to not lose to those other teams outside of Gonzaga. University of San Francisco if they want a chance. And then Oregon, I, I wouldn't say it's a fluke. I'd say it's a one-off is because you don't want to say it was a fluke because then that's really discrediting what BYU did. I think it was a one-off. You know, they didn't have they didn't have it that night. They're still a good team. We saw them have a very good opening week. Uh, dismantled Texas Southern, who was an NCAA tournament team last year. They won a game in the first four, uh, experience there. And they absolutely crushed a good SMU team. So I, I think Oregon's good. 
They didn't have a good game against BYU, and I think that's going to show this week at Maui. Perhaps this serves as a warning to Oregon that if you're not on your best night, this is what can happen to you. For sure. I mean, the Pac-12 is filled with teams like BYU, with UCLA, I mean, with teams like USC, Arizona as well. Like There are teams in the Pac-12 that can do this to you as well. Yeah. So this could definitely serve as a warning sign of if you don't have it, be very, very careful of what you are doing. To move on now to our two traditional segments, which again, over on our condensed version of Blaze, didn't quite have the time for, but we're going to get to it here. Let's go for Shining Diamonds first. It is our weekly award segment, our Team of the Week, Mid Major of the Week, and our Individual of the Week. Our Team of the Week, I will start, and I told myself this from the very start of this week. Whoever won the Hall of Fame tip-off wins the award because you're getting two top 25 wins in two days. And you don't have very many opportunities to do that. And Purdue took that opportunity and ran away with it. This is a Purdue team that, against North Carolina, Jaden Ivey, Shalha Stefanovic, Travion Williams all had 20 points. Jaden Ivey was phenomenal in this one. 22-10-6. He did what he had to do and really elevated Purdue in that entire game. And with all the NBA scouts watching that game and the game afterwards with Purdue beat Villanova. Again, Jaden Ivey was a key part of the conversation. Didn't leave the team on points, but with 10 points, 7 rebounds, and 7 assists, he pretty much did it all. And I think Jaden Ivey, I mean, if you thought his draft stock was high now, I think a lot of NBA scouts might be even higher on him after watching these two games. I mean, th- he played a very key role in helping Purdue as a team get to where they needed to go. And before I pass it off to my two colleagues here, Zach Eady against Villanova, 21-6. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like every, it seemed like Villanova, if they couldn't sp- stretch Eady out, they were screwed. Yep. I mean, Eady dominated that game in the interior when he was in the floor. Just unbelievable. And he limited foul trouble, which is what you have to do. You're not going to get too many minutes out of him because of his, one, you can't really stretch him out, and two, he could be prone to foul trouble. But when you get that, that kind of game from him, all yeah. oh, the Big Ten is going to be in so much trouble. And to piggy off of what Nick said, I think you can't go away from this week and not call Purdue your team of the week because they had one of the most impressive weeks. And I think it's going to be – I think this is Purdue's year. I mean – Having Travion Williams and Zach Eady is something very special. Like you don't see a front court like that a lot. And like J- like Jada Ivey will be in the green room next June of the NBA draft. Yeah, and if I recall correctly, Chef Goodman got a text from one of the scouts in there and he was saying, Hope he has his green root suit ready. Because yeah. he is that kind of player. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna agree with what you guys said, but I'm gonna give my team of the week award to the Bonnie, St. Bonaventure. They beat Boise State, beat Clemson, beat Marquette, and they beat Marquette down. And uh I, I was gonna give you Marquette. I also wanna give a shout out to Baylor. Absolutely curb stomped three teams. Uh so that, that's what they needed to do. They had three games this week, all against inferior teams and they handled their business there. So that's what I got. Yeah, and for mid major of the week, I almost feel like it's a bit of a cop out going with St. Bonaventure, but you know, after the week they had in the Charleston Classic, I mean, sure, they struggled a little bit in the first half in the first two games and kind of made some people wonder, but boy, oh boy, did they did they take any of those doubts? They threw them directly in the trash can against Marquette, and a big shout-out to the State Bonaventure fan base. I mean, they killed it in Charleston all this week. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think the Charleston Classic is going to be remembered as one of the better MTs of this entire year. It seemed like every fan base pretty much had a very good contingent there, and that really made the Charleston Classic, I believe, one of the better ones we've had in, in, in quite some time. I mean, that event has really delivered, but with a field that didn't didn't really pale comparison what Mali is having, what Atlantis is having, what some of the other four team MTs are having, boy, the Charleston Classic was impressive from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to piggy off Nick again, and I'm going to go with the same bodies as my mid-major team of the week. I mean, the bodies had a crazy week. They just beat Marquette, a team that upset Illinois, a very good team, by 30 points. I mean, like Nick said, the TD Arena, I think, is one of the best venues for any MTE tournament. I mean, it's like a high school arena. It's always packed, always loud, and it was a very successful MTE, and 
uh, bodies were successful off of it. So. Yeah, I, that's what I want to go to one of these days. Dominic? Yeah, I mean, I would give it to the Bonnies, too. I just named them my team of the week. But wanted to go with a lower-level team. I'm going to shout-out Princeton. Uh, on Sunday, they won at Oregon State. and They're off to a bad start, but still. For an Ivy League team to go across the country and win against a Power 5 team, very, very impressive. And they also murdered Marist earlier this week. So shout-out to the Tigers. They're going to be primed uh, to make a run at the Ivy League tournament. They're one of the top four teams. They'll be in it. Uh, they also lost last week in double overtime uh, against Minnesota, and they beat South Carolina. So I think you're looking at a very, very good team here in the Princeton Tigers. A player of the week, uh, Jaden Ivey is mine. I mean, Jaden Ivey really, there's a lot of great players in this Purdue team, but Jaden Ivey really took the spotlight throughout both of these games. I mean, terrific first game. Sure didn't do quite as much in the second game and was three of five from the floor. <laughs> Excuse me. But he was still able to really put up a stat sheet just overall. And he is, he is I think he's risen his draft stock even more than what he already did. I mean, this is a guy that, against two very good teams and teams that also have good guards, he stood out of the, of the, of the Hall of Fame tip-off. He was the one that I thought was incredible coming out of that event. For sure. And I would agree with Dana Ivey. has had a great week, but my pick for player of the week is Justin Bean, a beloved player around here in the Bonanza. Uh, Justin Bean had 24 points and 19 rebounds against Oklahoma, and which really led the, which really led the Aggies to a big win over Oklahoma. And I expect to see more from Justin Bean throughout the rest of the season, and I'm very excited to see that, too. Yeah, I think it was against Penn. He put yeah, up another 33. Yeah, 33 he, points. Yeah, I believe it was a 15 or 16 boards in that mm -hmm. game, too. I mean, the only reason why he didn't put up too much in the second game is because he was pretty much rested for the back half of that uh -huh. game. I mean, and, oh, my God, that guy's a fantastic still. Dominic? I'm going to go with Trey Mitchell of Texas. He's the UMass transfer. He's the big man. Uh, a lot of talk was talking about how he needed to step up against Drew Timmy and Gonzaga, and that's just not what he did. He had a horrible game. Uh, he was only able to play 14 minutes because he got in foul trouble early and was just getting absolutely cooked by Drew Timmy. He responded with a very good week. Now, granted, was against Northern Colorado and San Jose State, but still, uh, he only played 20 minutes in each of these games. He had 16 and 14 points and then 8 and 9 rebounds. So, Trey Mitchell, Texas is going to need him to be big down low for them if they want to get anywhere near where Chris Beard and everyone else thinks his team can go. Yeah, and that, that, that'll be a big one there for the Texas Longhorns. Let's close out this extended cut of our program for Bonanza Rank for the weekend. Of course, this is the same when we rank pretty much anything and everything. And to fit with the theme, because we could have gone for hours previewing all the different MTEs, which, of course, we're not going to do that. we got plenty of Twitter content for you over at Twitter, at College Bonanza. Be sure to follow us over there for all kinds of exclusive rapid reactions and a lot more. But the Bonanza rank this week is our three best upcoming multi-team events. Great fields pretty much all around. And I'll start with my number three. It's the Fort Myers tip-off that includes Ohio State, Seton Hall, Florida, and California. Cal is the dud here, but Ohio State, Seton Hall is going to be a phenomenal match. We mentioned earlier in our predictions. Uh, I think that will be a great game. And then Florida is also a really good team as well. They could give either one of those teams trouble should they get past Cal. And I think that field, that field has potential to be another extremely good MTE. Yeah, in our Twitter exclusive video, we talked about this, this tournament a lot, Fort Myers tip-off, and yeah. I would say that's my number three too. And just because due to the fact of the Ohio State Seton Hall matchup, I think that's a great matchup, especially after the loss of Ohio State had against Xavier. Uh, you can see this being a great bounce-back game for them. Or Seton Hall continuing their winning ways against Big Ten opponents. Yeah, I also have four Myers at three. Uh, the the quality of the top teams here is what puts it in at three. Cal and then the other bracket over there. Uh, you don't have to worry about that. You're going to have two really solid games here. So I, I really like it. My number two is the NIT season tip-off. I believe that this field is stacked with talent again. Memphis and Virginia Tech. I mean, it may not be as good as Ohio State Seton Hall, but you got two undefeated teams. You have freshman galore just with Memphis and their two freshman stars. 
That is going to be a very good one. I would not be surprised to see a lot of NBA scouts at that one as well. I mean, also in the other half of that bracket, Xavier and Iowa State. Iowa State's the dud, yes, but you know, a Big 12 team, you just never know what they're going to be able to do. It seems like every single team in the Big 12 is phenomenal. And then Xavier, they just beat Ohio State. I mean, they're going to be able to have a lot of momentum going into this field. And I would expect Xavier to beat Iowa State, but I think Xavier has that much more claim to them. And, you know, we were talking amongst ourselves, you know, before recording the show on Blaze and now here in, in, the, in the booth that they're starting to cut. Xavier could have very well earned themselves a ranking yeah. a- after that win against Ohio State. For sure. And if they do, that's two ranked teams right there. We could have a ranked versus ranked final. And those are the kind of finals that you look for in MTEs. And those are the kind of maps that, that say, okay, what do we have here? And where do these fields go? And we're going to have that, yeah. I feel like. And I think that's going to be fantastic to watch. And I just think that those four teams right, right there, Xavier, Iowa State, Memphis, Virginia Tech, we're going to have three pretty solid games in our hands. Yeah, so my number two is actually the 2021 Legends Classic. Um, I'm very intrigued of this MTE because I think this tournament will be very telling of the year Virginia is going to have. I mean, if Virginia is not successful in this tournament, I don't think they'll have a successful year at all, having already losses to Houston and Navy. And I'm just excited to see Providence and Northwestern. Like, they had pretty good starts to their seasons, and... I think Northwestern is one of those Big Ten teams that can sneak into the NCAA tournament. I'm going to go with the battle for Atlantis. I think Baylor, they're going to handle their business here, but you also got a ton of other really exciting teams to go along out there. I think Atlantis, and you also have eight teams in this, so you're getting a lot of games out there. So battle Atlantis at number two. Yeah, that actually is my number one, the battle for Atlantis. I mean, Baylor... We know what they look like. I mean, maybe not quite as the same as last year, but they still have a bunch of studs in that team. You know, the bottom half of that bracket, I mean, Arizona State, this could be the weekend of telling for that team and where they go. You know, is the San Diego State game, you know, the outlier, or is it a sign of things to come? I think that question will be answered in Atlantis. Syracuse and VCU, you never quite know what you're going to get out of those two teams, but they always bring a lot of intrigue and, Goodness knows who's there. He's going to bring the tape up today. Like Colgate, drop 100 on them in the Carrier Dome. Yeah. But the top half of this bracket is even more intriguing. Auburn and UConn. That's a first-round matchup, guys. I mean, that in mm-hmm. a lot of MTEs would be a very, very wishful final. Mm-hmm. We'll get that in round one in Atlanta. I think that'll be a very good game. Michigan State, you know, they beat Butler up pretty good in the Gavin game. One of the Big Ten's only two wins. I think they bring a lot of intrigue to the table, but also Loyola Chicago is in here, and they're going to get a lot of good competition here within this event. And day one of the MT for them could determine what kind of strength and schedule they have going into the conference slate, which could determine a lot for them as far as the resume goes. They they need to get some stuff done in Atlantis to get themselves up, get some quality wins, get their strength and schedule up. I think they need to get something done there, but I would not be surprised if Atlantis produced multiple games to down to the wire. Very good field here. Yeah, piggybacking off Nick again and what I said about Virginia, I like this battle for Atlantis MT a lot. I think, like Virginia, this term is going to be very telling for Arizona State, like Nick said. Uh, Arizona State was without Marcus Backley against their loss, with their loss against San Diego State. And I would say if they had Bagley, they would have won that game because San Diego State led on the boards. But this tournament sets up Arizona State incredibly. They can pick up a lot of signature wins, or they can just uh, fumble the bag and not do it. Yeah, I mean, I think that day one for them, it's kind of unfortunate they have Baylor right out of the gate. It's, it's good and bad. Mm-hmm. The good is you're going to get the best possible game right away. So you don't have to rely on any other teams winning or losing to get that best possible game. You can game, game plan for it. Exactly. And that's probably the best thing there. I mean, and again, the only bad thing about that is I personally believe that their first game of the MTE is your most important game. It sets up the tone for the weekend for you, and it also dictates your non-conference strength of schedule from that event. Yeah. And quite frankly, I believe this. If you're a bubble team and you play in an MTE, you controlled your fate as far as strength of schedule goes. Mm-hmm. You, it controlled your strength of schedule. You controlled what you could have done. And... You know, if you did everything you could at MTE and still missed out on the tournament, good for you. You, yeah. you controlled your business. But if you missed out barely and didn't control your business at MTE, I don't have a lot of favors to give you as far as my conversation points. 
So I believe we're over at Stern for number one. Actually, now. I wanted to add one more point to the battle for Atlantis. I, I just like this field a lot too, just because of the head coaches in this with Scott Drew, uh, Baylor. Bruce Pearl of Auburn and Tom Izzo of Michigan State. Those are three legendary coaches. Yeah, I have several other guys as well, like Bobby Hurley and yeah. a few other coaches. That'll Dan be Hurley. Yes. Yeah, that that would be a, that would be fantastic uh-huh. to have have both those coaches meet up. That, that would be cool. Uh, my number one, even though it's not going to be at its normal site, it has to be the Maui Gym Invitational. It's always the best. Bill Walton's going to be there, Nick. I know how much uh, you love Bill Walton. Boy. Uh, <laughs> and then also uh, wanted to give a shout out before. We conclude this. Dick Vitale, he's going to be at UCLA Gonzaga this week. That's going to be awesome. Uh, he's battling cancer right now, but he's going to be there. It's going to be his first game of the season. And uh, college basketball is better with these personalities exactly. on, the, on the on the call, no matter what Nick says. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, some people like Bill Walton. Some people don't like his antics. But, right. Yeah. And, you know, the field. There's a mute button for that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, but, you know, this field, though, I mean, every single Division One school in the field is in the Ken Palm Top 76 yep. as of recording. And that that's going to play some part of it. I mean, they don't exactly have the best power conference teams in the field, but there's a lot of good teams that are going to go into Vegas and compete for that tournament and really give it their, their best shot. One other term I wanted to shout out as well is ESPN Events. Invitational. I think you could legitimately have five teams in this particular tournament, and that's including Belmont, Drake, Iona. And Drake-Belmont is going to be a fantastic sure. round one match. I sure. think a lot of people that don't normally watch college basketball that will kind of tune in throughout the throughout portions of this week, I think they're going to really be sleeping on that game. And then Alabama, of course, too. Yeah, and what, what and I, I know it might not be the best draw for Iona, but they'll get that game and they'll get it. Uh, either Drake or Belmont, no matter what, and we'll see what happens from there. But you have Kansas in the top half of that draw, yep. kind of an easier top half compared to the bottom half. You have Kansas North... versus Alabama. That could be yeah, fun. that could be your final. Yeah, that is that is a very juicy possible For final. Sure. You also have Dayton, North Texas in there, Miami of Florida, which we'll see what Miami has this year. I think I think they could have some interesting competition there uh, within that event. Uh, but yeah, plenty of good stuff, and you know we didn't even talk about the tournament that Mr. Stern's more probably more interested in. That's the Wooden Legacy, yeah, San Diego no, State. I'll actually be there for the first night. I, I found out that my dad got tickets for it. I'm excited for San Diego State versus Georgetown. Uh, my dad, he grew up in Virginia, so he's excited to see Georgetown. He grew up just outside of DC, which is of course where Georgetown is. And then USC has been very impressive. They should roll through St. Joe's and face the winner of that game, which should be the Aztecs, but. SDSU did not look good against UT Arlington. Picked up a very big win. They love to beat their Pac-12 teams, football and basketball, beating Arizona State on Thursday. I was there. ASU looked good. They did. Marion Jackson finally took over. But every time uh, the Sun Devils faced adversity, uh, they were able to bounce back, and same with SDSU in the same way. So I think both those two teams, their seasons uh, from now on are going to be trending upwards, uh, especially offensively. I think both teams should be good. I'm not sure why I went on that tangent. But uh, I think that when you look at it, the, the Wooden Legacy is going to create two good games. Uh, San Diego State, Georgetown should be good. And then uh, USC versus the winner of that, which hopefully is the Aztecs. Yeah, and, and you know, San Diego State-USC I think will be a very good matchup for both of those teams to see what they really, really have in store. Uh, but that is going to be it for us here on this extended cut of the college basketball. We do hope that you, that you enjoy all the multi-team events. This, to me, is the second best time of the year right next to March. And so, very much, eat your turkey, have your stuffing, and remember, who needs the NFL? You have plenty of great college basketball, and I hope you take advantage of that. For Dom Contini, Dominic Stern, I'm Nicholas Hodell. Have a very good week of college basketball viewing, everyone.